like to ask you this morning, hopefully you picked up an outline. I want you to get that out with a pen or a pencil, and I'd ask you to take that piece of paper and the pen, and on the left side, somewhere on that paper, put the year that you were born. The year that you were born. Some of you might want to cover it up or something. If you don't have a piece of paper, get it in your head. Here's mine. I'm going to show it to you. Now, don't be doing the math on me, all right? Yeah, it's been a few. Now, after the year that you were born, I want you to put a dash, two dashes. After that, I want you to put the year, put 20 blank, blank. 20 blank, blank. Every one of us has a year, the first one, a time where we were born, where we entered into this world. We didn't have much of a choice on that. It was like just, okay, here you come, here you are, right? You entered into the world. Everybody's birthday today? Anybody have a birthday last week? Wow. Anybody have a birthday in the last month? How about the last year? (laughs) Wow. All right. Those are days we celebrate. The second date, well, it depends on the condition of our faith and our relationship with Jesus Christ if we celebrate that second date. But that second date is going to come. We don't have any control over the first one. It's like, here you are. And we really don't have much control over the second date. But that dash in the middle, as you've heard me talk about before, we have control over. We have a choice over how we spend this one and only life that God's given us. What we accomplish between those two years. We try to cram all of our living, all of our growing, all of our stretching, all of our efforts, all of our friendships, all of our efforts for Jesus Christ into that one dash. So the question I've got for you this morning is, how are you doing with that? What are you going to do with your dash? How are you handling your dash right now? It goes by so, so fast. People, wise people, have reflected on that dash for many, many years. The psalmist in Psalms 90, verses 5 and 6, he's talking to God. He writes, you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They're like the new grass of the morning. That when the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. And in that part of the world, that's exactly what happens A lot of the grass comes up in the morning as green, and then by evening it withers. It goes by so fast. And the psalmist added in Psalms 90 verse 12 this amazing statement. Let's read this together. Teach us. He said, Lord, these days are so precious. Teach us to number our days. Teach us to make our days count that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And what's so amazing is life is so short that dash goes by so fast that many don't choose to live life with wisdom. 
we take our precious lives and we waste them on stupid things. Worrying about what other people think about us. There's a good one. We get mad at people and stew over it and hold resentment for years. We live in fear over something in our life that may never even happen. Every day, people come to that final date and they've thrown away the one and only life that God's given them and they couldn't even tell you why or how it happened. So today we're going to look at this life that's so short and it's so short that we shouldn't play it safe. We'll start with another question. The question is, what's the most dangerous object in your home? If you were to think about it, what's the most dangerous object in your house? Larry Loudon, a professor of philosophy at the University of Hawaii, wrote a book about risk. And he dedicated a whole chapter to dangerous household items. Some of them you and I would expect. For instance, 460,000 people are injured every year by kitchen knives. We can understand that one, by kitchen knives. This uh, past week, I got a big old gash on my thumb, proving the commercial that Cutco knives really can cut, right? Straight through my thumb. They're dangerous. Manual and power saws account for 100 injuries every year. That's why I really don't have any of those around my house, right? Some of them surprise me. Anybody have draperies on their windows? Draperies are dangerous, dangerous things. Every year, 20 people in America are strangled to death by drapery cords. Ouch. Then he makes this statement. Loudon says, annually, some 4,000 of us injure ourselves on pillows. I got to thinking about, I don't know how you suffocate yourself with a pillow. Maybe you get trapped in a zipper. I, I don't know. But with pillows, dangerous items. But the most dangerous item in our house, I would say to you, is right here. The easy chair. The easy chair. If we're not careful, we can spend most of our days just kind of hanging out, being comfortable in this very chair. Now, to make it come alive to you, I want to kind of illustrate it by showing you what comfort looks like. And I was going to get a volunteer to come up, but I thought better than that, I'm going to have Brad come up. He's already tested the chair this morning, so I know he knows how to get in it. I'm going to put him in this chair. And Brad, your goal, don't do that yet. Your goal is to just be comfortable. You look a little stressed this morning. Yeah, he has a habit of getting stressed out on Sundays. Well, first, go ahead and take off your shoes. Yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Because I got some slippers here for you. They've been hardly worn at all. You're gonna put them on me too. I'm putting them on you. Wow. They're Buckeye slippers. I see this. Here you go. Okay. All right. Feeling better? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now on the 
side of the chair. Go ahead. Be careful. Yeah. Lean back. Ah, right? Yeah. A little better. Now, everybody that sits in one of these chairs has to have something in their hand usually. Got your remote. Clicker. You, no, <laughs> but you look like you've done this before. All right, feeling better? Yeah. All right, and we sit in one of these comfortable chairs. Usually we have someone or we bring and prepare ourselves some comfort food. I got a now warm glass of milk. <laughs> Don't drink that. Yeah, I'm going to pass on that. You like Rice Krispie treats? Of course. There you go. Okay. Right. You feeling better? You're looking more and more comfortable. Let's see if we can help him out a little bit, Dave. Yeah. That's okay. You just relax. Doing good. Keep your eyes closed. Now, if God were to ask Brad to do something really difficult right now, to take a risk, you think he's ready to jump and go after it? No. I don't think he's ready to jump up and do about anything right now. He, he can stay right there. And he probably couldn't even stay awake for the rest of the message if you sat there. All right. Let's give him a hand. We'll let him get out of there. As he's getting out, you make it. Yeah. All right. As he's getting out, one of the most dangerous things about this chair is not necessarily, yeah, what, well, maybe it is getting out of it. <laughs> one of the most dangerous things about this chair is not necessarily what you do while you're in the chair, but it's what you don't do while you're in the chair. And I want you to think about the times that you and I bask ourselves in comfort and there are relationships that are never formed. There are needs that people have around us that are never met because we never see them. We never notice them. There are races that we never run. There are battles that we were meant to fight in life that we never fight. There's laughter that we never laugh. There's tears that we never cry. It's called the great adventure that God wants to have us on in life with him. There's more to this life than just the comfort of the chair. God invites you and I into a risky partnership and life is way too short to play it safe all the time. Now, it doesn't mean we should never rest. If we don't rest, that's called exhaustion. But it's about taking this ordinary life, that dash we talked about, and entering into an awesome adventure with the God of the universe. It's about waking up every morning and saying, okay, God, what do you got for me today? What do you got for me today? In the Bible, there's a very common kind of encounter that happens between God and human beings. 
It happens so frequently in the Bible that scholars have given it a name. They call it call narratives. Call narratives. It is records of people that God has encountered in Scripture and given them an assignment or a task. And there are certain components, whether you see them in the Old Testament or the New Testament. I'm going to walk you through these because I think God still, <clears throat> still calls you and I to specific tasks and adventures that he wants us to go on in this life. The first part of this is the initial call. These stories all begin with God asking somebody to do something. Well, let me ask you another question. Those of you who know your Bible quite well, where in the Bible does God ever interrupt someone and ask him to do an easy job? Where in the Bible does God ever call on somebody to do something that doesn't take much effort? Never, never, never. God never asked anybody to do an easy job. In fact, there's a whole chapter in Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament that summarizes one person after another person who God calls them to even risk their lives. God comes to Noah and says, I want you to build an ark in the face of ridicule and restart the whole human race. Pretty easy, right? God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to leave everything that's familiar to you. Go to a faraway country. Just go there. You'll know what I want you to do when you get there. And later says, oh, you're 99. Time to have a son. Pretty easy. It's real important to us to understand that all through history, Joseph he says, I want you to be faithful, God says to me, when you're betrayed by your brothers and when you're in prison and when you're a slave. All kinds of people God calls to not easy jobs, not comfortable lives, but risky ones. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning with verse 32. Listen to some of these. And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was not turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign enemies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Now, after going through that list, and I encourage you to read it later again this afternoon, 
How high of a value would you say God places on people being comfortable? No. You see, God's not really concerned about you and I and our comfort status. Although everywhere we look in the world, that's all we're told. On how we can be more comfortable, what we can purchase to make ourselves more comfortable, and that's how the world turns. And yet that's the complete opposite of what God would call for us. He usually calls us to quite the opposite, an uncomfortable, difficult kind of life. Well, first he issues the call. Then second, there's a response. In every case, the person God interrupts gives their reaction directly back to God. And again, for those of you who know Scripture, when God gives anyone a hard assignment, a hard calling, how often does that person turn back to God and say something like this? Wow, God, what a great opportunity. <laughs> Defy Pharaoh. Oh, what a great, wow, awesome. Take on the Midianites. Spend a night in the lion's den. Love to. Walk into a fiery furnace. Marry a woman that's pregnant and says she's still a virgin. Face jeers, flogging, chains, prison. Fabulous, God, what a challenge. Can we supersize one of those, right? It's crazy. Almost never did people respond to God in the Bible like that. You know what their first response usually is? Fear. Usually scared to death. Fear of in inadequacy is a big one. God comes to a guy named Gideon and says, hey, <clears throat> I want you to save my people, the Midianites, from their enemy. I want you to be the guy that leads them into battle. But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. I'm not adequate for this, God. You talk about dysfunctional families. My family is the most dysfunctional family in all of Manasseh, and I'm the lowest functioning member of my family. There's no way. Sometimes it's a fear of failure. Moses confronted Pharaoh. He was to confront Pharaoh, free the Israelites. Moses, so scared, he says no to God five times in a row. He comes up with an excuse. And I need to mention, people often say, you know, God, God never asked me to do anything that I haven't been scared to do. Well, maybe you're not listening. Maybe we're not listening. God always asks people to do something that they can't handle on their own. Huge things. In the Bible, when God calls someone, their initial response was almost always they were scared to death too. So if there's a challenge in front of you, some course of action, a road that maybe you feel like God's leading you down, remember, it's okay to be scared, but be careful not to say no. Because there's a real good chance if you're about to say no to something that seems huge, God is in the challenge. 
God's spirit is leading you to do something that's bigger than you. And don't avoid that. And by the way, if you're not facing any challenges too big for you by yourself, guess where you are? You're right here. See, we got to get out of that comfort zone and be alert to God's leading and respond. The next component is, in spite of us being scared, in spite of us, in spite of us being feeling inadequate, God offers reassurance. God always gives us a promise. Striking thing about all these stories is that people give their initial response, and that's one of resistance, but God never reacts by saying, okay, I get it, it's pretty scary, don't worry about it. No, God always comes back around and says, I'm here, I'm here. God says to Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. God says to Joshua, these magnificent words, have I not commanded you, be strong and what? Courageous. Don't be terrified. Do not be discouraged. Why? For the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. I think some of us need to write those words down and put them on the dashboard of our car. Remind us, God is with us wherever we go, whatever challenge it is. And then the fourth component that leads to is the decision. The decision. You've got to decide. When God calls you to do something, it's going to come down to you saying yes or no. It's going to come down to you accepting the challenge or staying in the comfort zone. But life in that chair, I've never seen anybody that spends life in that chair who feels fully alive. Like God is spirit is moving from the tip of their head to the tip of their toes it's kind of just a dull life how many remember when you were taught how to swim I remember mine as if it were yesterday I was just four or five years old and we were at Clendenning Lake. And we went down by the lake. We would spend, I'd spend most of my summer there with my grandparents. And my pap-pap, who, is, who passed away when I was nine years old, but probably had one of the greatest impacts in my life. Because that's where I, I hung out all the way till I was a teenager. But he passed away when I was nine years old. But he was a lifeguard and shaped like crazy. So he was always pressing me to learn how to swim. And I remember four or five years old, we were at the edge of the lake. There was a big rock. And if I close my eyes, and I've seen photographs of it, maybe that's why. But if I close my eyes, I can remember that day. He was in the water in the lake, and I'm standing up on top of this rock that felt probably like it was 20 feet high. Probably wasn't as high as this stage. I don't know. 
and he's looking at me and he's saying, jump, Jeff, jump. I said, I don't know how to swim, Pap Pap. That's okay, I'm here. You just jump. But I can't swim. That's okay, you just jump. Every time I didn't jump, he backed up a little bit. Backed up a little bit. And finally, I took a leap off of that rock. And I instinctively dog paddled with everything I had and made it into his arms. From that day forward, a couple things happened. Number one, I was never afraid to jump, especially if he was involved. And number two, I forced myself to learn how to swim. But all of that happened because I was willing to get off the ledge. When it comes to God, our biggest growth patterns, our biggest changes in life happen when we are at the ledge and God says jump and we jump. Sometimes maybe not knowing what's going to happen after we jump. Where is God asking you to get out of the chair, jump off of the ledge, and trust him? Maybe it involves a relational risk to somebody, tell somebody the truth that you've been scared to talk to for a while. Maybe God's calling you to a whole different vocation, and it seems awful scary, but he wants you to jump. Maybe God's asking you to get involved in something where you're gifted and no one else even knows you have those gifts. You've been kind of holding them to yourself. Maybe God's asking you to be a witness, to reach out to the people of Medina and invite them to this place. God might be saying, how many people have you invited to worship lately? What's he saying? And to some of you, maybe you're just at the beginning searching for who God is and what a relationship with Jesus Christ is all about. And you're ready to get off the ledge, get out of the chair and make a commitment to him. A relationship with Jesus Christ is where life begins. That's where life begins. The final component of answering God's call, getting out of that chair, is a changed life. One day you found yourself and you entered into this world. Didn't have much of a choice. Here you are. But it was a good day. It's the day you were born. One day you're going to leave this world. None of us know when. Might be today. Might be tomorrow. Might be a few years from now. Might be a lot of years from now. But we know it's coming. It's coming. And we need not pretend like it's not. And between that first day and that last day, you have that dash. All of your life is in that dash. 
What are you going to do with it? How are you going to handle it? Are you willing to get off the ledge? Are you willing to get out of that comfort of that chair and the comfort of life and follow where God is calling? And maybe the ultimate is that you finally decide to really be committed to a relationship with the God of the universe who offered his one and only son on a cross so that you could live for all eternity. Father, I thank you, God, for your word. And God, as we look in your word, we see all kinds of challenges to people. People who were called by you to do really, really dangerous things, even to the point of giving up their lives. God, I pray that we in this room don't get caught up in the comforts of this world and the comforts of this society so much that we're not listening to your Holy Spirit's call on our lives on what you want us to do for your honor, for your glory, for eternity. Because ultimately, God, that's the only thing that matters. That's the only thing that matters. So God, I pray this prayer for all of us. Use us as you will. Use us as you will. And God, as you're about to call, even this week, May we all be willing to get off the ledge to jump and say yes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.